You're listening to the Two Tongues Podcast. And now your hosts, Kyle and Chris. What's up, man? Hello. Hello. How's it going? Hey, man, pretty good. Um, why, don't you tell the, uh, why don't you tell the audience where you're sitting right now? I'm sitting in the brand new Two Tongue Studios slash Chris's office. <laughs> <laughs> so we're still in Stu Hart's dungeon, but this is what we did, you guys. We boxed up a little piece of the dungeon. We, we pumped it full of bright, bright lights. And um, now it just kind of looks like a regular room inside a dungeon. It kind of reminds you of like, I've never been to one, but you can imagine if you went to like a sitcom set. It's yeah. like a big warehouse with just one little finished room yeah, in it. Yeah, like where they filmed Seinfeld. Yeah, this, I'm pretty sure this is where they filmed Seinfeld. This is where they filmed. Kramer's about to burst in that door right now. I like lo- I love Kramer. Yeah, I Kramer's Kramer. the best. Um, Seinfeld's good in general. Whenever the, Whenever Seinfeld gets brought up, what comes to my mind is this image of Kramer. You know how he would like open up the door and he would sort of slide, slide in? Slide in, yeah. Like he was, he was going so fast when he opened the door that he, he, you know, he's coming in. And he did that once when he was holding a chicken. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And, and I can't remember. He thought he was buy, buying a fighting chicken or something, but he had this chicken. And uh, what, what the thing was, he had it butt up. So he, did, he didn't realize. So Kramer didn't realize he was holding the chicken. Instead of looking down and seeing its face like it, he expected, <laughs> he looked down and saw its, its butt. And Kramer does that Kramer face, oh, you know. Yeah. It's only Kyle could see the Kramer face I just did. That was good, though. He shakes his head and his hair wafts and he, his, his eyes get big and he looks genuinely confused. He does a great job of that. Yep. Anyway, that, that's what comes to mind. He's a great physical actor, that dude, Michael yeah. Richards. Yeah. In spite of his bad choices at the comedy Terrible. store once upon a time. Terrible choices. <laughs> um, shout, out to, shout out to Puddin. Um, Go ahead. Who's Puddin? Puddin is the only person who will know who Puddin is, is Puddin himself. So shout out to him. He's a Seinfeld fan. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I forget what I was going to say. I also forget what you were going to say. It was about Seinfeld, so it's not important. You ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? My wife, my wife got me to watch it a little bit, and I did enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I feel about the same way. I like it, but I haven't watched a ton of it. It's like, um, it reminds me of the first time I saw, um, was it something about Mary, or was it... Oh, no, no, no. It was Meet the Parents. Okay. You, all right, so, guys... I enjoy movies. I, I enjoy comedies. I love them. Um, but what I don't enjoy is the cringe comedy. The comedy where you're watching somebody make oh, mistakes. Curve is not for you. No, then. exactly my yeah. point. So so I'm watching I'm watching uh, Meet the Parents, and um, Ben Stiller, he embarrasses himself at every turn. He can do nothing right. And you're watching the movie with your eyes cringed. And I feel so much empathy is that the right word? I think so. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I probably feel it more than most people. Um, just, you know, I have no way of knowing, but it seems that way. Because yeah. I, it is very painful for me to watch. I, it's so much that it ruins the enjoyment of the movie. It's not a funny movie to me. Yeah. You know, it's a terrible, terrible, hard hard movie to watch. For people like me, that movie is funny, but also watching it with people like you is funny. Because you get like <laughs> it's like the double, double whammy of humor. It's funny you, you say that like... Uh, enjoying watching me watch the movie it reminds me of those people that did like I don't know when this happened if it was the 60s or the 80s or when but these like psychologists started doing social experiments where they would like go into an elevator and stand the other way 
Oh. And just see how people react. That's interesting. Or or make eye contact with somebody for an extended period of time until they become uncomfortable. And the whole point is just to see how people behave when you don't behave like they expect you to be. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up. I just want to see people's reaction. I don't know what I would do if I go into an elevator and the dude is just staring at the wall, you know? Yeah. It's weird as hell. Well, well, you know what happened? It's like creepy. What happened was that people turned around. Really? Yeah. <laughs> after after long enough of seeing the one person confidently do what uh, against what everyone else is doing. That is pe- weird. People, people began to get, it feel like they physically had to mirror that. They had to turn around the other way. <laughs> that is so weird to me. Like, you know... I hear stuff like that, and you hear about other, um, like the Dunning-Kruger effect, where it's like people, everyone thinks they're better at things than they really are, Um, and I hear about things like that, and I'm like, no, that doesn't apply to me. I'm like as good at everything that I think I am, (laughs) but then with that, it's like, I feel like if I got in and there was a guy staring at the, going the other way, I don't think that I would turn around, you know what I mean? What if that person was yelling, screaming, and seemed to be genuinely afraid? Would you turn around and run? Without seeing what he's afraid of? So Somebody I, runs past you in the street screaming with their hands in the air. Whatever they say that they're panicking, they got to get the fuck oh, out yeah, of there. Like someone's shooting or ah, something like that. Yeah, okay. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Do you turn around um, and get out of here? I, I mean, I don't think I'm... I'm going to at least like assess the situation. You know what I mean? You going to peek around the corner? Yeah, I mean, I might start running. Who knows? Just depends. I don't know either. It reminds me of those, like, uh, I don't know if it's Impractical Jokers or if it was something before that, but where the people would be in the office, and you know, going about their regular day, and then somebody dressed in black bursts out of the ceiling and falls down on them. Yes, (laughs) yes. I love that. (sighs) That dude just got up and, like, took off. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He was out of there, man. Out of there. Yeah. Hey, so Kyle, um, I apologized in your absence last week. I said that, uh, you know, we've been really good. We've been doing this for, it's almost six months now. Yeah. And we have been doing two episodes a week, like clockwork, even though we both have lives, right? Yeah. And a full, and a full pack schedule. But last week was the first week we ended up with one only and not two. And I explained that you were on vacation. So how'd that go, man? It was great. It was nice to not have to go to work. What was the know? best part? Oh, the best part. The best part was, honestly, the pool. We, we rented a house in Florida, and the, just having the pool in the backyard, man. Because it was hot. <laughs> Holy shit, oh, man. You, you went to Florida? Florida. In July. In July. Florida in July. Mm. Um, so... Uh, the guy who Ubered us to the airport when we left said the next month's a really bad month to go. He said, like, every day is over 100. But, uh... So, so my oldest daughter was asking me about going to Disney. Okay. And I told her that we would go next year. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Maybe we'll go in February. Maybe yeah. Maybe we'll push it up a little because that's the time to go to Florida, man. Yeah. I mean, January, February? Must be. Yeah. Florida is, I mean, aside from the heat, and honestly, I mean... You know, it's like when it's that hot, you stay in your air-conditioned house, you go to your air-conditioned car, you go to the air-conditioned supermarket. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's not really that bad, and it, you're in a beautiful place. Um, That's true. But, I mean, Florida is beautiful. I, I, I'd never been there before. Have you been to Florida? So, I, so you know, my, my buddy Mejdi, 
Yes, so he, yeah, so, man. He, so he moved down to Florida, and I, I did right. go, I did go visit him down there. That, and I'd never been to the Gulf Coast. That's where so, I went. Oh, you yeah. went to the prettiest part. Yeah, yeah. So I never went there, um, and I did take the uh, the girls to Disney last year. Well, oh, okay. what was it last? No, it wasn't last year because Rory wasn't born. That was two years ago. So it must wow. have been three years ago. Wow. Anyway, and we went to Disney then, and uh, um, I can't remember what time of year it was, but it was one of those situations where the weather was way different here um, as it was there. It was way hotter than I expected, way yeah. stickier than I expected. Oh, but, yeah. But we, we went to Orlando that time, obviously. Uh, or no, we went to Orlando for Jess's work. Yeah, that was Disney. Anyway, um, I had the best, I, I want to say Mexican food, but I, it was just a Spanish name, so it could have been anything. Yeah, I think yeah. it was Mexican food. I had the best Mexican food ever in Florida in a um, in a like shopping complex, like a... Um, um, like a strip like mall. Like a strip, like a strip mall. Yeah. It was like a nothing place. Mm-hmm. And it, but it was like authentic, authentic. And I didn't know what to expect. The whole menu's in Spanish. I'm just like, whatever the special is, I'll have it. Yeah. Um, it was really good, man. Nice. Awesome. I had some good food while I was down there too. Um, yeah, the Gulf Coast is really awesome. We went to Sanibel Island one of the days that we were out mm. there. Just like crystal clear beach water, you know. It was just a beautiful place. Uh, the heat... It, it is crazy. That's that's the main like takeaway. I remember. So we rented a house, and like I said, it had a pool, and the pool was all like screened in. They called it a lanai. It's like a, a specific type of patio, apparently. Mm. Um, it, this really nice back patio, all screened in, so no bugs and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And then out behind that, there was like a like a dock that had like a picnic table and stuff and uh you know just like right on the canal that the the back of the house was on and we would go sit there and we would feed turtles like as soon as you went and sat there turtles would come up whoa yeah it was cool as hell uh but i remember we went out to do that one morning and it was like eight in the morning and i was sitting on that dock and i was like holy fuck it is hot (laughs) it's eight in the morning yeah and it's sweltering so when i went on my honeymoon we went to jamaica yeah. Uh, and we did that because, uh, well, we didn't pay for that. My my wife's boss did, which, God bless him, that was an amazing gift. Oh, yeah. But we went to Jamaica, and it was like that, man. For, first thing in the morning, and we were getting up early, and it was so beautiful. And as soon as you step out of that room, you're just like, what in the world? It, it, you know, we were up like, you know, probably before 8 o'clock, we were, we were up walking around. It's like, mm-hmm. it's only 8 o'clock. What's going to be like at 2 or 3 o'clock today? Unbelievable. Yeah. Unless we were in the pool or in the ocean, we were miserable. Yeah. But it was gorgeous there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was we we drove through actual Jamaica and that was that was not not so gorgeous. You know, the poverty's pretty apparent. Also, the palm trees. Mm-hmm. This is the weird thing that I didn't expect. The palm trees are in the tourist places. But when you're driving down like the we were driving down the the freeway in Jamaica and the ocean was on our left. And we passed right by. Even there's a park where Christopher Columbus landed that they had, they turned into a park. There's no palm trees. Yeah. There are other trees, but it's like you expect to see this tropical beach with coconut palms and stuff. Yeah. They were nowhere to be found. Huh? Um, only, but when we get to sandals, it's like coconut I palms wonder everywhere. Why? I wonder what that's all about. I have no idea. It seems to me like there's, there's like, tons of. Co- palm trees in florida which i don't like them i think that they're ugly like give me a, a big ass maple over a palm tree any day of the week that's funny man. and i'm not talking shit on florida i actually really liked florida when i was down there but yeah no palm trees are not for me so i i, I kind of agree with you especially the really large ones because they get way taller like yeah. you see the ones in california yeah they're yeah. like 
it's so tall it's unbelievable and then you just have this little sprout of <laughs> you can just yeah, yeah. barely see the barely see the leaves up at the top it looks like a toupee yeah um but there i saw a lady at the park uh, the other day she had a tattoo on her arm and i was asking her about it and it's one of these trees from africa um bodhi Bo- some kind of tree in africa bodhi maybe it's like a big fat chode looking tree um mm-hmm. that doesn't have a lot of branches until you get to the very top and then oh, the branch and then, so it's got like this about. weird looking canopy but it's just thick uh-huh. tree it's like nothing you've ever seen before i look at that tree and i'm like that is the ugliest tree i ever saw in my <laughs> life but the lady who had it tattooed on her she she it was special to her because she was doing she was going to africa like all the time for mission work or something so she okay. it was like a second home wherever she was going and th- th- where these trees were so she thought it was beautiful and i just wonder like what you get used to those are the things that tend to that become your tastes and your preferences the sure. things you're used to yep and i just wonder if if all your our preferences toward towards a you know a, an american maple yeah. <laughs> okay if our, like if our uh, preferences for that kind of tree are just because we've been this is yeah that's what we've been seeing our whole life yep i think there's <laughs> got to be something to that it's got to be yeah it's got to be i was talking to um, my father-in-law uh, maybe he was yesterday about uh, Brussels sprouts because the guy because the guy's like he hates my cooking basically and he thinks we overcook every vegetable that we make yeah. and uh, I put the Brussels sprouts in the air fryer and cook them up Ooh. until like the, the skins are crispy and they're delicious I love it and he's like no you should, you should boil them that's the way to do it and, I, and I'm thinking to myself there is not a single food that you could boil in water to cook mm-hmm. and take a bite and think that it's better than when it's covered in oil and fried in an air fryer. Yeah. There's just no possible way that anybody would agree with that. But this old man was 100% confident that that was the wrong way to cook it. And if you just boiled it in water till it was mush, that that's the way to cook a Brussels sprout. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, you must have had them boiled growing up. Yep. And I asked him. I was like... I'm willing to bet you had these things boiled growing up. He was like, that's the only way we ever had them. <laughs> I'm like, you son of a bitch, man. You that don't, hand motion was great. You don't know what you like. He um, doesn't know. Yeah, you know, I understand that. And I think that that is a huge factor in people's like opinions. Um, it's hard for me, though, because I don't see myself as that type of a person. I see myself as the type of person who's like pretty open to things. Like, uh, I... I grew up eating shitty, shitty boiled Brussels sprouts, you know. But yep. then I had somebody who like put them in the oven and roast them. I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> it's like a whole new world, a whole new world. So yeah, but I don't know. It's just like different strokes for different folks, you know. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, well, so so just for the audience's benefit, all of this nonsense over the last fourteen minutes is from the fact that Kyle and I haven't seen each other in two weeks, so we're yeah. just. We're just talking like we talk, so deal with it. Uh, what did you want? What did you want? Do you have anything particular for today, bud? No, I mean, you know, like I said, I don't have anything like really developed to talk about, but I just have some things that, uh, some ideas that I've been thinking were interesting. And one of them is, so there's this place down in Kentucky called Mammoth Cave. Mm-hmm. Have you ever I've, heard of that? I think that? I've heard of it. Yeah, I want to go there, man. Tell me about it. What's the it's deal? It's like the biggest underground cave on Earth. Okay. Um, and I just. Like, there's a lot of, like, interesting, like, could could people be living in these caves? You know, like, uh, what's the dude's name? He wrote a bunch of, like, science fiction. Jules Verne. Lovecraft. Oh, Lovecraft. H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. He wrote this book about Mammoth Cave, and this guy was on a, or, you know, it was like a short story or something. This guy was on a tour through Mammoth Cave, and he gets separated from the tour that he's on, and he's got, like, a torch. 
And, uh, you know, he's lost in this giant cave and eventually the torch goes out. So he's in complete blackness trying to find his way out. Um, and he's like, you know, like scurrying against the walls, trying to, you know, try, just trying to feel for an opening, mm-hmm. anything. Uh, and he hears something coming at him. So he picks a stone up and he throws it at it. And, um, you know, he like he luckily he hits it in the dark. He gets lucky and hits this thing in the dark. And then finally the tour finds him and they see what he threw the stone at. And it's like a humanoid thing that's been living in the cave. Oh, man. Isn't that creepy? It is creepy. That, sound, that sounds like that would be an awesome uh, episode of Black Mirror or something. Fuck yeah. Um, it, but while you were talking, I thought you were going to go like journey to the center of the earth. I thought you were going to go oh, that, yeah. that direction. Because in the 18, late 1800s, when uh, all those like classical sci-fi guys were writing, um, that was like a an actual... It was fringe, but it was an actual um, theory. Yeah. Uh, it was called Hollow Earth. I mean, we, I mean, people have heard about that. Still, kind of a thing. <clears throat> but the but the idea that that there might have that there might be caverns big enough underground that it could have its own atmosphere, and even though it doesn't have sunlight, there you know there might be bioluminescence or there there might yeah. be, you know who knows what kind of what kind of environment <laughs> might might be there. But if there was a large enough cavity, you know that that who knows what might be there and. Uh, the journey to the center of the earth story was about the uh, lava tubes. So they they started off in like Scandinavia somewhere, and there's these vulc- volcanic tubes that go miles down into the earth, and people will go go down them. I don't know if it's like um, spelunking or if, if it's like a hobby or if they're oh, mining yeah. or what they're doing, but people will go miles and miles down these lava tubes, and they're literally going to the center of the earth where the lava so, came from. So crazy. Um, but the idea is that you, in the story that you could. You could go down these lava tubes and find this hollow part of the earth where where there's a whole other civilization or whatever. Yeah, reminds me of like demolition, man. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the people living in the sewers. We've brought that. You've brought that up on the podcast before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that just makes me think of that. Um, but yeah, that mammoth cave. It's um, so. You know, that's like the... Because I, I, I thought about the, the hollow earth thing, and, you know, that's a big cave. People could live in that motherfucker. Yeah. Um, but that aside, I think back to, like, times when the Native Americans were here. Yeah. And some person who... You know, it's not... It wasn't like it is now. Everything wasn't developed. Everything wasn't... We hadn't seen every inch of everything. You know what I mean? And some person was just... You know, walking through the woods one day and stumbled into a cave and discovered this giant, you know, mammoth cave. Literally, mammoth cave. That I mean, imagine that experience, what that must be like, you know? And then to know where that place is and you you meet strangers and you, like, take them to this place, you know? It's like a a religious experience, kind of. It's like, look at... It's like, you know, we build, like, St. Peter's Basilica and stuff like that. Well, this is like... One that God made for you, mm. you know. So two things come to mind that I want to ask you. Well, I'll tell you about the first one is um, while we're talking about Hollow Earth, it just, just dawned on me that there are Native American myths, and there are lot, lots of them. But the Hopi have have a myth like this, and the Navajo that um, that and the, well, for that matter, the Greeks have this myth that there were many many Earths that were destroyed and then and then okay. and then reformulated. And there were many races of human beings that lived on those worlds. And most of the myths say there were five of them, five worlds, uh, before we got to this one. And, you know, the world was destroyed by fire, by water. We know the Noah story, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Native Americans have a story like this. Um, and they say that when the world was flooded, when the, when the fourth world was flooded, 
um, that the God, God destroyed the world that way. That he, the the Noah story there is that the that that God told the people to go underground, so that rather than going on an ark and floating on the water, they went underground to oh, to live oh. and be sheltered there while the floods were up above. Interesting. And the the, the myth goes that the ant people helped the, the the natives find the way underground. Wow. And they lived with the ant people. What? So 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 some of these Native American stories are actually. Um, actually believe that there is these this ancient race of people that lives underground that helped us survive the, the Great Flood. Yeah. See, you know what I love about this kind of shit is I know there are a lot of people who hear this kind of stuff and they just roll their eyes at it and it's like, that's fucking stupid. Um, and I don't know, maybe there's a little part of me that does that too, that it, it maybe doesn't say that it's stupid, but it's like, this is highly unlikely, you know? But there's another part of me that goes, who fucking knows? Mm. And And it's like, you know, we imagine that because we're like the dominant species right now, and we have been for as long as we can remember, um, that maybe there aren't, maybe there were like some creepy fucking ant people, you know? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, that's like <laughs> I said, that's that seems a little crazy, but... But, you know, is it outside of the realm of possibility that, that people adapted to living underground for one reason sure. or another? Maybe it was because of the Ice Age. Maybe it was because of, you know, who knows? Uh, there was some, some reason why they were... Where they were only able to survive living that way, that those people might have remained living in that way beyond the point when they could have returned. Yeah. And at some point had had contact with the people on the surface again. You know, that that's a possibility. I'm not ruling that out. You would assume, right, that if, you know, for like 200 years, there has been like a parallel society living inside of the earth that they would be a different species kind of at this point, right? I Depends mean, on how long. Well, you know, like I say, evolution will adapt you to that environment. And if you're living in like a dark place or a place that's, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, it, it, if you're there for a sufficient period of time, you could absolutely become an ant person. That's you why know? I said 200 years because I know from, you know, the little bit of research that I've done that evolution can change things pretty quickly. Yeah, that was something that they didn't used to believe was possible, that evolution happened very gradually over time. But, but modern research suggests that when there is like severe climate change, when it happens quickly, that animals will adapt quickly and, yeah. and like in ways that would surprise you, like, yeah. you know, quickly. I uh, remember, I think, I think it's probably something I heard Rogan talk about. Um, he talked about this guy who was trying to domesticate foxes and he thought, oh, yeah. is it going to be, you know, like maybe 10 years of breeding to get like a domesticated gent gentle fox. Mm -hmm. It was like two generations. Like it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard that story before Rogan talked because it was not long ago when he was talking about that. Mm -hmm. I think it was, an, I think it was a radio lab. Okay. Where they, they talked about that guy. So this was, for those people who don't know, this was a scientist, I think in the 1800s in Russia that was doing early genetic research and um, basically took foxes, bred them in, the, in captivity, wild foxes, and then he would separate them into two groups. The, the foxes that, um, that seemed to be less afraid, he would breed them together. And the ones that were the most aggressive, he would breed them together. So there's basically these two like warehouse-sized rooms um, that generations and generations later that are filled with cages of, fo of these foxes. And when you go into the first room, the, like the, the, the aggressive room, 
the foxes are snarling and chomping at you when you walk through. They're like worse than a wild animal, just aggressive and, and just like you can't imagine. Yeah. And then he goes into the next room and they're like whimpering and, and like sound like dogs. Their ears are no longer pointy, but they're folded down. Their tails lose that bushiness to them. They start to look way more like, like dogs. Yeah. And when you open up the cages, they'll jump right into your arms and lick you. And, and that, that's the difference. Simply by selectively breeding them, that you can you can take a uh, you know an animal and make it extremely aggressive and violent and unpredictable, or you can turn it into a, a puppy dog into a pet. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That is crazy. And he did that within his lifetime, so within just a few generations, was able to do that. Yep, unbelievable. Yep, the Russians, man. Life is adaptive, man. I mean, the Russians were the same people. I, I got so much stuff I want to add, and I'm getting gonna get off track in it. Okay. The Russians, did you remember about there was two facilities during um, during Stalin's reign in the Soviet Union that were trying to breed super soldiers? Okay. One of them was in Asia, I think, and one of them was in Africa, maybe? And they were breeding, they were trying to breed humans and, and great apes. One of the facilities wow. was, was trying to use like orangutans, and one of the facilities was trying to use some other, and I don't know what the details were, like how they were doing that, because this was... Long enough ago, where we're not we're not talking about in vitro. You know how they were doing it. <laughs> you know how they were doing yeah. it. I don't know how they were doing it. Um, <laughs> like a, with a turkey baster, maybe I don't know. But um, I think it's like that lady with the her ape with the wine and the Xanax. Oh, you know? I sort of remember that. Boo, doo, doo, doo. <laughs> boo, boo. It's getting romantic with these monkeys. Um, anyway, he was trying he was trying to breed super soldiers that would be as strong as as a Dude. great ape and is smart enough to be crazy to be trained to be a soldier. Yeah. The Russians do some and well, you know, the Russians do some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, less rules. I wonder what we do, but what oh, hold on before before yeah, I forget, yeah, yeah. you mentioned how like the the myth about the ant people like like border on, bordering on that's uh, obviously a made up bullshit story. But then having a little bit of the seed of doubt, thinking, in what way might that actually be mm-hmm. true? Like, in what way might that story have legitimately come down and been true? And I think that's really interesting. And what it brought to my mind was something I read about uh, the Hopi and the Maya. I, um, so the the Maya are, and the Aztecs are, uh, according to the Hopi, they're just Hopi that didn't finish their migration. That didn't that didn't oh. finish the, the trip back to New Mexico. Gotcha. And um, so the the Hopi and the Maya have prophecies about the end of the world. And one of those prophecies uh, had an actual, like an actual date, not like a day, mm-hmm. but like a certain, you know how they would keep track by like celestial movement. So it was like a certain range of weeks or days when when the end of time was going to begin. And what they what they would do is they would send um, like, a, like a messenger, like a, like a, a group of people to, to um, go see if, if, Quetzalcoatl was going to return. This is the great feathered serpent that was their creator god. So they would go to the beach, wherever this wherever this was, and they would look for Quetzalcoatl to show up um, every day. And during this period, and again, I don't know how long this was, if this was days or weeks or years, but during this period of time, when they were expecting the god to return, one of the times when they went to the beach, the Spanish arrived. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have, and they literally thought, the Spanish were was Quetzalcoatl was was the plumed serpent coming back their creator, and in um, they also called him Coclacan uh, or something like that, and he he was actually um, he was actually like uh, uh, the image of of the god 
was a, of a white-skinned, bearded guy. And I don't, I don't have to tell yeah, any, anybody here that Native Americans, they don't have the biggest beards in the world, right? They don't, they don't right. have a lot of facial hair or body hair. The, the Native Americans and the Asians both, you know, as far as the genetic lottery goes, those guys are not the hairy bunch. Yeah. This god is, is, is uh, pictured with a, with a beard. And that God showed up when they predicted he would show up. It's crazy. That that kind of prophecy, you know, it's just interesting, man. I don't I, I don't know if it's if it's bullshit, but the fact that they had this story and that they had predict they had made the prediction and that during that time, the Spanish showed up. It wasn't the end of the world, but yeah. it kind of was the end of the world. Oh fucking a! It was the end of the world on some level for a lot of those people. It was the end of the world. I, uh, what was it like? Ninety percent. Of a the whole bunch of the Native American population across the North North yeah. America, and a lot of it just through disease. So, all right. One other thing I wrote down when you were talking about Mammoth Cave because you said you want to go there, and I think that's that's cool. But there's a closer one that I that I'll tell you the story of if you've never been. Is it here in Ohio? It's here in Ohio. Is it a cave? It's a cave. Oh, okay. No, I didn't. I don't it's know called, about this. It's called Crystal Cave. Crystal. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know about it. It's. It's, I can't remember if it's in Putin Bay or if it's in Kelly's Island. Oh shit! Really? So this is. So I'll tell you the story because I've been there. Um, they actually built a winery on top of it. So if you want to go and tour Crystal Cave, you can. And then you then you then you get shammered when you're done on on. Hell yeah! On uh, Vino, keto right now, so I can't do that. On but. Vino Magnifico, as my wife would say. All right, so Crystal Cave. The story of it is in the. Uh, I guess it was the 1800s. Sounds like something uh, from Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> the guy, the guy bought the property there. Now, for those people who don't don't know, there are islands in Lake Erie uh, that go basically all the way to Canada. In the, in right in the middle of Lake Erie, there's a place called Peely Point, and there's an island south of it called Peely Island, and then south of that, there's uh, the Bass Islands. There's three of them: north, middle, and south. One of those islands is called Putin Bay, and it's like a vacation destination. It's like if you're a college kid and you want to go party in the summer, that's the place you want to go. Kelly's Island is is uh, whatever it's Middle Bass maybe or something. It's more of a family friendly place, but they're cool. You take a ferry out there, you know. You can't drive there. You got to get on a boat. You take a boat out there, and the fishing's great. The water's super clean and out there, you know, like right in the middle of Lake Erie. Um, they've got all these quaint old buildings there. Um, it's it's a tourist trap, but it's it's a really cool place to go. And uh, and so the story goes that these guys bought this land, and through some series of events. Somebody found a cave, and they went into the cave, and they started, you know, going deeper, figuring, trying to figure out what was there. And the thing opens up into this giant cavern. But here, here's the thing: he holds up his torch into this cavern, and it's nothing but giant crystal formations, all like Superman's house from wow. from the Superman the movie, Fortress from, of Solitude. Fortress of Solitude, man. It's like crystals hanging from the ceiling, growing out of the walls. And he thought he thought he was rich. Yeah, this, yeah. this guy thought he was gonna be rich. So, <laughs> so, so he kept it secret and uh, had it checked out. And it turns out they're like calcium crystals. They're they're worthless. Yeah. But the point is, you can go down there. You go down these steps. They have all these. You can see it's like kind of been widened and carved out. They've got these lights hanging from the ceiling, so you can navigate your way. They've got handrails, so you don't slip and fall. And you just walk down through this through this system, and you pop open into this dark room, and then they turn the lights on in the room, and it's just like this amazing. Because it, it's dark, you don't know what to expect. It could be it could be huge. It could be it could be you know you could reach up and touch the ceiling. You don't have any idea. But they flip the lights on, and it's like this huge cavern covered in crystals. 
And they tell you not to touch the crystals because some people do that and they're like oils from their skin um, get on the crystals and they grow bacteria and the crystals uh, start getting brown and gray and discolored. Gotcha. But it's fucking cool. And you can go there tomorrow. It's not even far for you, man. Yeah, I might have to do that. That's pretty crazy. Um, now, I, that just takes me back to... Um, like I was saying with Mammoth Cave, like imagine, I mean, I guess that that's still like magical for that dude, but I don't know if something about modern, like modernity makes it seem uh, for some reason less like we appreciate it less or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that, it's like that guy's like, I'm going to be fucking rich. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think if somebody would have found that in like 1200, well, I don't know. People weren't. People were. If somebody would motivated have, by greed back then too, but if somebody would have found that like in in in, an, in prehistoric times, yeah. it would have been like a place of worship. Yeah, you know that's a really good point, man. So this guy found a secret hidey hole in the earth on an island in the middle of one of the biggest freshwater bodies of water in the world mm-hmm. on a tiny little speck. This guy found a secret hidey hole in the earth full of glorious, you know, crystals, natural crystals that as big as your arm shooting out of the ceiling and stuff. That is a magical thing. And and be, just because they're not just because they're not diamonds, yeah. uh, we just write that off as like, okay, I well, you know, I guess this this, you know, this this gorgeous cathedral that that the earth cre- created over over thousands hundreds of thousands of years. We're just going to we're just going to turn our nose up to that because it's not a diamond. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that is exactly what I'm getting at. But I guess we don't really because we do go to see it. You know, like people do like to go to see it. It's like a, like you said, a tourist trap. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either, man. Like there's places in the world like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, there are places in the world where they have ancient ruins that uh, are gorgeous. Yeah. And nobody goes to them. They're overgrown and they're you know, getting sucked back into the forest and people just don't, people don't go to them. That's crazy. And you, and you could turn it into a tourist trap and make money off of it and preserve it that way because people would want to come and see and, you know, you could do that. But by doing so, you commercialize it and you turn it into something, you know, else. So there's a, there's a double-edged sword there. I mean, I don't know, do you just let, let it go to pieces and only the people that really, that would really appreciate it will ever come see it? And yeah. it's you know it's or or do you do you start selling popcorn and cotton candy and you know pruning the hedges you know yeah yeah both definitely have their drawbacks that's for sure. Um, I was thinking about that earlier and it, like just to touch back on that cave thing, I think what I'm saying is that I think that people modern humans have a uh, a need to like be in touch with nature like you know I, I know that that sounds like corny as hell but I feel like um, it, we don't get it enough and we need uh, it's like humbling you know oh yeah it's like uh, there's something almost like psychedelic about when you see places like that yeah so yeah, there's two things come to my mind when you say that the first one is the fact that I've never seen the Milky Way yeah, I've never seen a sky filled with stars the way that our ancestors saw every night for a hundred thousand years, two hundred thousand years, a million years, as long as you know the, our species goes back, however long that might be, and even before that, they looked up at the sky and they saw the stars and the galaxies 
uh, that were visible, and they saw the gray stripe, you know, streak across the sky. That's that's the arm of the Milky Way that we belong to, and they looked up at eternity and wondered. And you and I, you know, grew up in freaking suburban Columbus. With, you know, across from a busy, you know, thoroughfare with all the street lights and the house lights, and we looked up at the sky and saw twelve stars. You could barely see, a, barely see a freaking constellation. You could barely make out a constellation, yep. and you, we never thought the same thoughts as as our ancestors did. We never got humbled the way that our ancestors did. Yeah. Um. So that comes to mind. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind is my dad took me hunting growing up. A little bit so I got some exposure to sitting out in the woods for an extended period of time as quiet as a mouse just observing and it had made an impression on me to the point where when I'm driving down the freeway and I look at the woods let's say um, on one side of the freeway on certain days when the sun is coming through the branches and you can see so far into the woods and then it's darkness something about that image seems like an invitation to me. It's something about my soul wants to go into the forest. And I think it's linked to those experiences I had growing up uh, hunting. But those are, the two, those are the two experiences that come to my mind when you bring up how human beings need time and nature. That I wouldn't trade either of those experiences uh, you know, for just about anything. That they are um, you know, super, I don't know, meditative. They're super important. Yeah. I think I think that people who get that kind of stuff more often and I guess this is just all like speculation on my part but I think that people who get that kind of connection with nature more often are more likely to be mystical in the way that we talk about yeah um and I think that that is kind of evidenced in the fact that Back when people were forced to be more a part of nature, they were more mystical, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to, uh, to feeling yourself to be a part of it. Because I think that's, that's something in the modern world, like, like when I was little, you know, before I was like, uh, like maybe when I just started puberty, let's say. Uh, and the idea of sex was just like brand, you know, brand new possibility. Um, I thought about the idea of having babies, like natural birth. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like... 10, 11 years old and thinking to myself, that is so gross. <laughs> like, like, you know, there must be another way. Like, you know, couldn't we just, you know, in a, in a sanitary situation in a, in a, in a hospital, brave new world, style. build our kids in a, in, like that. Couldn't we do that? And that to me, that seemed like the modern futuristic way. Like, you know, we, uh, but the, so the idea of natural childbirth was, was, seemed weird to me. And if you remember, cause you brought up, uh, <laughs> because you brought up, uh, that movie, um, Come on, demolition, demolition, man. man. When they had, they had sex virtually, you remember? Yeah, because yeah. because the idea of in that story, the idea of having f- actual sex and swapping actual body fluids with a human being was gross. seemed to be gross. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely there's definitely some of that uh, in the modern world. That if we spent more time in nature, we would we would not have those uh, same sorts of thoughts or discuss because you because you do come to realize you're part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, everything there is, everything that's going on, you're part of it, and and you know that includes all all of the the gross shit, you know. Yep, reminds me of that Piebald song. Hey, <laughs> you're part of it. Yes, yeah, indeed. buddy. Yeah, that's that's a great song. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. 
I don't have anything else on that particularly. Um, nature. Oh, about the about people oh, being more mystical. Yes, I do have. To. It's not about nature though. I kind of got pivoted off there. You were talking about like preserving or you know just letting something fade, and I do feel torn between that because there is a part of me that has this uh, urge to preserve the past. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I think of myself and con- I think of myself as conservative in that sense. You yep. know, like. I don't see the need to knock down old buildings if they're fine. You know, like, keep it. They look cool. They uh, they add something. Um, and not even just, like, visually. I mean, visually, old architecture is awesome. I love the way, like, you go to Cleveland, the old buildings, you know, oh, yeah. they're just awesome. They have so much character. Mm. But that's not even what I'm talking about. I think that there's something to, like, the energy that it's been lived in, the you know, for all those years. Um I think there's something to that. If that's like hippie-ish, then I don't so know what to tell that, you. That brings up something I wanted to ask you that, that actually fell off my radar. It's the hippy-dippy side of the nature coin that we were just talking about. Mm. And you said um, you know, that, that there's something that psychologically is different about people that have those experiences and feel like and spend more time close to nature and feel like they identify more with it and you know, connect more with the cycles and you know, the natural cycles and all that. Um, and then there's the hippie, the hippie people that say things like, and I think this, I think there's actual medicine behind this too, but I can't remember all the details. Where people say that you should walk barefoot, yeah. that people who spend time walking barefoot on the earth have have better health, have better immune systems, yeah. and the hippie part of that is is that there are earth energies, right? And this is where I. This is where I am, I immediately bail out of the conversation. I don't, um, man. I, I I mean, was, I was, I'm still in. I was hoping that Josh Hamilton, because he was supposed to come again today for the podcast, and uh, we can talk about that. Um, I'm still hope, hopeful we can reschedule. But he he definitely goes down that line further than I do, and I'm still very skeptical. But I, I'm open to I'm open to the possibilities, and I didn't used to be. Yeah. As soon as you start talking about earth energy and crystals and chakras I'm out but now but now I'm like okay um, in this example people say that that, that the, the earth has these electromagnetic fields that you know all of the elements that are there under under your feet that they all, they have you know fields of their own and that some some invisible stuff that goes on uh, with energy will actually impact living creatures and, and you know ourselves and that there might be some benefit in actually <laughs> um, and actually, spending more time in nature, barefoot in the earth. Yep. So I don't know what what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, man? Um, I do, I think that in some way it makes sense, like even from a materialist way. Like I don't know, so something walking barefoot seems you know it's like a that George Carlin bit where he was like, well, you know, we grew up swimming in the Brooklyn River or whatever. It's like, you're not getting, you're not getting a cold. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, you're not. Um, and I think that like walking barefoot, that makes sense on some level to me. Although I think you are more likely to get some type of worm, <laughs> yeah. like hookworms or something like that. Yeah. You know what, you know what comes to my mind is like, um, there's a lot of stuff about, uh, your body. Um, like, Oh, like here's an example. Um, light. Right, so that you know, they say you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, stare at your phone or your computer, especially towards the end of the day, because the blue light spectrum versus the, you know, the other side of the spectrum. Like, you're, you, when, you, when you have the first experience of light in the morning, that you, it does something to like a, a timer, a natural sort of timer in your brain that says, okay, the sun is up, 
and so many hours from now you're going to want to eat and so many hours from now you're going to want to sleep and so so exposure to certain colors of light condition or trigger other things in your brain chemically and 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 you know whatever electrically that that um, result in the whatever the cycle that you're going to have for that day your sleep cycle and, and your digestion and your immune system and all that stuff that the light patterns all of that stuff controls all of that stuff somehow mm-hmm. and I wonder if feeling the earth on your feet feeling the temperature changes the moisture changes there must be things that you pick up on that your body might actually respond to in ways that aren't obvious like the light so I'm wondering if there might be something like that. Like there might actually be science somewhere down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I, could, I mean, that seems, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Likely, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's not the word I'm looking for, but it suffices. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. I think uh, you talk about the, the blue light affecting you and your cycle for the day. And that just makes me think of like, you know, when you grow plants inside you can grow them like more quickly because you it's like you control the length of the days you know like you yep. you just keep the lights on longer and then they start growing more because they're getting more light That's interesting. you know yeah um and it's just like we're affected by that it's like just the same way you know it's it, weird i mean man. not just the same way but you know well the fact the fact that human beings are the creature that can control its environment you know like all the other creatures have to adapt to have to evolve to change to their environment, but human beings can just change the environment. We, we just we can we don't have to change anymore. Yeah. Um. You know, at least not in the same way. And the way you just put it is like if I'm growing like hydroponic vegetables in a warehouse somewhere, that, you know, I can per- create the conditions in that uh, warehouse that might be like something you would see on a another planet. Yeah. Like, like we're gonna have 24 hours of daylight. And yeah. we're gonna have a space fruit, a high hydrogen environment, yeah. and the and the and I'm gonna crank up the pressure and the gravity a little bit, and we're gonna see, you know what I mean? Like, we, like we can literally recreate hypothetical, you know, foreign, um, you know, celestial bodies right here on Earth, and That's see what crazy. happens. Experiment, you know? Yeah, they're That's doing insane. they're doing stuff like that, man. They they took those. Um, tardigrades up into space to yeah see yeah, if, yeah they, they, they're doing some crazy stuff yeah i that's i said that earlier when you were talking about the russians doing their crazy gorilla fucking and whatnot. <laughs> um i just wonder like what the what kind of crazy stuff are we getting up to that no one knows about and it, i mean it makes me think of like the ufo stuff that's going on you know but i'm scared i'm honestly kind of skeptical of did i say that word right skeptical of all of that i don't know man it just seems like uh a distraction. Well, that's interesting. Um, it seems silly. I don't know. Well, I mean, so what? When is the midterm elections? When are they? Next year? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they're, yeah, I think November they're next year. 2022. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, this that's the right time to start hearing distractions. I don't even... I mean, I think they're running distraction for more than just the elections at this point. You know, like, things are so... I think personally, it seems like things are going off the rails a little bit. Yeah, you know. Oh, I got something. I'm sorry, I got something. Oh, you're good. Uh, have you heard of parasite? What is it called? Parasite something theory. Damn it. Um, I was just listening to Jordan Peterson talking to this guy. Oh, I'll tell you. Hold on, dude. I am so behind on podcasts. Yeah, I haven't, li- I haven't been listening to shit. Um, he did a podcast with a guy. Uh, might be Lawrence Krauss. 
Um, let's see. Is this him? Theoretical physicist. Mm, maybe not. Uh, in any case, um, there's this p parasite something theory. I can't remember. The idea basically is this. Um, these scientists were able to figure out um, all sorts of interesting predictions based upon how how uh, many parasites infections are in that population. Oh. So there was all this statistical stuff, and it was really interesting about areas that are sicker, um, that have more parasites, that they become more conservative or more liberal based upon how sick the population is. Okay. And uh, so it was really kind of an interesting study where they're able to make those kind of connections. But the idea here is that they were playing with was this, that our government has been moving in a increasingly liberal direction for hundreds of years. And uh, now because of COVID, um, unprecedented, you know, you're not going to call it a parasite, but an unprecedented pandemic like that, that it will do potentially what the high parasite population groups, uh, uh, what, the impact it has on them, which is to become more conservative. So, yep. and there's reasons for it. But, but what the idea they were kicking around at the end of that conversation was, well, if we've been going, you know, super liberal, uh, you know, increasingly liberal over the last couple hundred years, now that we're facing this situation, we're kind of primed to see if this parasite theory is, is true, because if it is, what it predicts will happen is that we're going to start seeing uh, a pullback and more conservative, um, uh, you know, opinions prevailing in our government. Um, and maybe that's what we're seeing. Maybe that's what we're seeing with Trump. Maybe that's what we're seeing with, um, you know, with, with there's some evidence that maybe that's happening. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. But but anyway, uh, I wonder what you thought about that. I, in some ways, am a fan. <laughs> and in some ways, it's, it's um, concerning because, you know, you look at everything that's going on right now with COVID and the vaccines and potential vaccine passports and oh, reinstating God. of mask mandates and like redoing lockdowns and shit. And, you know, these are this, I would say this is like a swing towards conservatism, even though Joe Biden is the one doing it. This is still a swing back towards conservatism. And I don't like it. These are like aspects of conservatism that I think can fuck off. Yeah. That's a really insightful point. I was mowing the grass the other day. I was thinking exactly along those same lines that the liberals are absolutely the the totalitarian, fascist, and conservative ones at this point. And that's a great example that you just bring up. Um, it's weird to see that. Mm -hmm. It's also weird to see all of the all of the liberals, uh, at least as far as the media is concerned, because that's the only people's opinions I'm hearing. Um, you know, the ones on television that they. 100% are going with that. Yeah. Um, they're going with the idea that uh, <laughs> that a vaccine passport is a good idea. Like that is not something that any liberal in any point in history in the Western world has ever would ever agree with. Yeah. And every single one of them in this country are 100% on board on with board, it. On board, yeah. What in the world? It's segregation. I mean, like, you know, why? Because it's based on race. Like the, the race is like the magical issue for them. You know, it, may, it excuses everything. Um... But, you know, that initial segregation, that was race-based, so you had to destroy that. This is like, you know, it's not based on race. It's based on, like, the public good. So they think that it's fine, you know. The the public good, I'm doing air quotes. Right, this, right. You know. Um, yeah, because, because some guy, like, 
Fauci says that, you know, it's for the the public good to wear masks, you know, they're just like all on board. I don't fucking get it, man. Well, somebody who can say that it unequivocally is, is a public good, um, but 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 is wishy-washy with the science about, you know, the way the way Fauci's been with masks and then double masks and then, you know, vaccinated is okay and then unvaccinated and is okay. whether it came from a lab. came from a lab. It's, yeah. it's airborne. It's not airborne. Yeah. You know, the sci- so clearly the science is not settled and you got somebody who making a definitive statement like that. To me, that's the mo- that's the height of hypocrisy. Yeah, he said. Do you do you remember the the brazen quote of his from a few weeks ago? <laughs> Let's hear it. He it? said, "If you're criticizing me, you're criticizing the science. I am the science, basically." Oh, God. Like, yeah. Well, I, then, then admit then admit what the science is. Yeah, tell us. Make it more clear for us, please. Um, I don't know. As far as that goes, though, yeah. As far as that idea of swinging back back towards conservatism. There are aspects of it that I like. You know, I'm not really socially conservative in the sense that I want everyone else to be, like having eight kids and be married for, you know, 35 years or, you know, however long. Um, but I think that is good. You know, I think that is a good life to choose. Um if you want to choose a different life, that's fine. Um, I think that those are good lives too, but that life appeals to me. You know, that's what I think is, you know, makes sense. I'm with you, man. And a lot of that has to do with death. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that when I'm 80, if I live to be that long and I'm decrepit, I need someone to take care of me. And like, I guess that's selfish in some way, but not really because you're bringing them into this world of, you know, having an entire community that cares about them. I mean, if you, like, you in a world that's, like, decentralized and it's just, like, your world is a handful of families, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. That seems like a, a good thing to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking about, uh, thinking about the things that the left is doing that would have been considered conservative. That would have, not, not just that, it would have been considered something that the that the liberals would have been hostile to mm-hmm. um, in the in the in the past. I mean, always. And uh, and the way the attitude towards the vaccines is one of them, but the attitude towards racism is also a very kind of a glaringly obvious one. Um, that you know, I'm just thinking about that one lady who said she wouldn't interview white people anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, for- I forget. Oh, the mayor of. Um- the mayor of Chicago yeah, is that who yeah, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. She wouldn't yep. do. She would only do interviews with black reporters yep. or whatever. Yeah. Yep. So basically, what you have here is um, this significant push, and it doesn't. It's not obviously towards black supremacy. I don't think that's the case, especially because um, they seem to be. They seem to hold the banner of minority, yeah. and that's that seems to be fine for now. Yeah. So they can put themselves in the same group as other brown people and and gay people yeah. and and trans people and all that. It's not it's not black superiority, it's white inferiority. Exactly. Yeah. That that's the point that's exactly the point that I want to bring up. So the liberal the liberal um you know one of the kind of the biggest uh uh platform items for them is is this anti-whiteness? It's this white inf- inf- inferiority that they want to uh, that they want to perpetuate, and and I can't help but look at that in exactly the same way as the white supremacist movement um, or any other any other 
extremist, ra- racist group. And but the but the left is pushing it and calling it equity, and and uh, I'm supposed to pretend that he, that that's not what a totalitarian, conservative, fascist type person will do. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call myself a, a liberal or a progressive or a Democrat and pretend like I'm not acting like the worst kind of conservative that that there is. Yeah, um, I, I think that there's something to Jordan Peterson talking about, and people kind of roll their eyes when he talks about this. Uh, but when he talks about social Marxism and how you're taking the like that divide and conquer strategy and just instead of having it be a, a, about class now, it's about race. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I really do think that there's something to that. Like I said, a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at that, like social Marxism, like you just made that term up. It doesn't mean anything. Mm. And like, I don't know if he made it up or not, but even if he did it like tracks to something in reality it makes sense mm. so even if he did make it up I mean all words are made up what are you fucking talking about that's true um, I wanted to mention one thing before we get off this Vax conversation okay. uh, a, a buddy of mine at work said something this morning to me that I thought was really really interesting and I don't know if, if he if this was his idea or not but but it goes, goes something like this so our, obviously you know COVID when COVID happened um, it was a big deal because we didn't have anything like this before. We didn't know what to expect. And, and the danger, the potential for danger was very high. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's fine. Then there was a rush to come up with a vaccine because we didn't know what the dangers were going to be. And pe- people might, might be dying by the boatloads, right? So we, we rushed this vaccine through and um, everybody is supposed to get it. We think, we think everybody's going to want it, right? And then, uh, and then, not enough people get the vaccine, or and or not enough people get it quickly enough. And now, and now the government's talking about mandates and and trying to bribe us to to pay us money to do it. All this kind of nonsense. Yep. And what we're hearing about now is the Delta variant. Oh so, yeah. So, before the Delta variant, if you remember, there was there was more more strains. I think there was at least three. Yeah, there was like an India. There was a Brazilian one. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah of course, right. So, so we we've heard all this. Up until very recently, we were told the vaccines work. If you get the vaccines, you don't need to wear a mask, all that, yeah. all that kind of thing. But now they're like, okay, we're going to lock down again. Everyone needs masks, and we're going to pay you to do it, and all this sort of thing. So here's what, he, here's what the guy that I was telling you at work said. He was like, do you ever think that they, this was a panic? They rushed the vaccine. They got special approval for it. It was never tested thoroughly. you ever think the vaccine doesn't work? And they're pretending that there are variants to cover up the fact that it doesn't oh, work. That's interesting. Right. That's very interesting. So, you know, and, and if I was a scientist, I could just say, look, here's the here's the genetic differences in the strains, here's how we identify the strains. But I'm one but you said it on the first podcast, we're all conspiracy theorists now. Yep. And my mind immediately goes to, well, that's exactly how I would spend it if I was trying to manipulate people. Yeah. I would say, oh, there's a dangerous variant. And meanwhile, Biden and Kamala are panicking like the vaccine doesn't work. Doesn't fucking work. You know, people keep getting infected and dying. What are we going to do? We're yeah. going to we're going to look like idiots. Yeah. Well, you know what? Where's the spin doctor? And she comes up and says, "We're just yeah, viruses, you know, they 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 morph, they change. We're, we're just going to say they keep changing and now the vi- vaccines aren't effective." That's exactly how I would spin it yeah. if I was in charge of spinning it. It's very interesting. Um, I was thinking it kind of in line with that just yesterday I had this idea that and, and in this scenario you have to imagine and I say imagine but this is like you know the accepted story at this point but 
I'm still a little skeptical. You have to imagine that the virus is what they say it is. And, you know, maybe not as bad as they're saying it is, but it's getting people sick and it's killing some people and all of that stuff. And then you also have to imagine that the vaccine does work on some level. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not great, but it does work on some mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, so why in this situation are they pushing the vaccine so hard? Like, why does everybody need to be vaccinated? You know, like, if you want the vaccine, get the vaccine. It's a vaccine. It should fucking work for you, you know? Um, And I just like, the only thing, well, not the only thing I, I can come up with, but one thing that I come up with is just like, it's just so that they can say, look, we did this. You know, like, we, you were afraid and we vaccinated all these fucking people. You know, just like a check on the board. Could be that. It could be nanobots in the vaccine that 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 now is tracking all of our all of our. uh, You know, who knows? You know, could that's the extreme theory. Sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's it's interesting. A less extreme theory, although it's still. I mean, I guess variations of it are pretty extreme, but uh, is that it could be causing damage to people? Hmm. You know. Uh, and the extreme version of that is is it it's intended to cause damage to people mm. like one of the big scares is that it's going to cause like infertility yes that this is like this big ploy to drop the population of the world um which you know we're talking like deep conspiracy shit here but you know what i'm not gonna fucking rule it out man i have no idea I wouldn't lean towards that. I, I kind of is, always just lean more towards incompetence is, and shit like is that. the idea behind that conspiracy theory that the vaccine causes infertility or that the virus infection causes infertility I or both i think it's that the vaccine does i think okay. specifically that i heard that the vaccine attacks some kind of like protein that is like integral i, I don't even know if that's specifically it but yeah. you know something like that so i asked myself like um what so like if, if you know Biden, Biden's saying okay we're gonna pay every we're gonna we're gonna pay everybody a hundred bucks to do it and we're gonna make we're gonna make as many people do it as we can as we can manage and all the companies that we can get to force it on on their employees we're gonna support that too we're gonna try to force it down everybody's throats what is the benefit then what is Biden afraid of and if if what you're saying is that a demographic apocalypse is what what the fear is that pe- that too many people will die and if that happens, then we, well, that's what I mean. Like if the virus is deadly and we're afraid that so many people are going to die, that, that we're not going to be able to keep our factories going and sure. keep our farms productive and, you know, keep the financial system moving. Like, you know, I can understand, but the virus doesn't seem to be killing anywhere close to enough people to make any sort of difference. And, and the, you know, and I, and I, I don't, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say, but the fewer people we have here, the fewer people we have to pay social security to, the fewer people we have to pay, you know, you know what I mean? Like there are some, there are some ways in which you might see. And the reason I bring this up in particular is because up until a couple years ago, liberals were pushing exactly this idea that we were having too many kids that we, we, you know, that we, we we don't, we we don't have enough food to feed them all that this is going to be a, this is going to be a terrible apocalypse that we're doing to ourselves because we, because we're not checking our populations. So if COVID is going to kill a bunch of people, isn't that going to solve the problem that the liberals are saying, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, continue to have abortions and birth control and all these things to prevent, yeah. right? So, so you have somebody like Biden who, who 
theoretically would have been in support of this idea that the population is growing too fast five years ago, ten years ago, who's now saying everyone needs to get vaccines to avoid dying. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yep. It's just more hypocrisy and, and, you know. I mean, I think it just boils down to you say what you have to to take advantage of, like, the panic in people. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, people are afraid, so I, I, that's a great time to do that power grab, you know? Yeah, Historically. But, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the point you raise about being seen to have done something... Uh, there's a, there's a lot of weight there uh, for for a politician. I, I oh, you yeah. know, I mean, th- oftentimes they would they would prefer to be seen to be doing something, um, even if doing nothing is better. Be, be, you know, because that's how people are judging them their their work. Yeah. Um, and if Biden can say a year plus from now when the midterms come that he and all his Democratic uh, you know co- compatriots um, succeeded in fast tracking this this vaccine and getting 99% of the country vaccinated and you know they're the saviors then yeah. and they and even though they're not they can spin they can spin that story so you know i can see that and maybe that's the maybe that is the likeliest reason for it mm-hmm. um that's made even more interesting by the idea that the vaccine doesn't really work though it's mm-hmm. like you're like busting everyone's balls to yeah. give them this vaccine that's bullshit it's weird, you know. They said the, something like twenty, more than twenty-five percent of the cases uh, that they're seeing now are from people who are fully vaccinated. Yeah. It's so it's interesting. If you pay attention to just like the mainstream people, it's they they tell you the complete opposite. They tell you this Delta variant is crushing people who are unvaccinated. ER, I mean, they're they're trying to pull all of the same tricks. Excuse me, all of the same tricks now with this Delta variant that they did with the original coronavirus like the the ERs are overflowing the ICUs are overflowing we don't have enough ventilators it's like are we in the DeLorean did we just go back to last year people are fucking falling for it again too and 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 I don't know if you remember but they already said about the Delta variant that it seems to be more contagious that's why they're concerned but it's also less deadly yeah so whatever however it changed to become more transmittable has also made it less likely to hurt you so now, okay. now the the flooded ERs with with the Delta variant patients, those are the ones that are least likely to die because they've got the pussy version of the disease. Yeah, you know. So I, it's just it's frustrating. Yeah, I uh, retweeted some guy and added a little something to it. Basically, it, I mean, I, I I don't think it's going to happen, but basically just trying to get Tucker Carlson to have this guy Tom Woods on. Because Tom has been, like, the most clear and concise voice against just how screwy all of the the COVID stuff is. He's great. Um, I hope it happens. I don't think it's going to, Mm. though. But I just think people need... Why not? Is he a fringy guy, or they just don't want to be He's a libertarian. He's a straight-up, like, like the best kind of libertarian. Um, And... Yeah, I don't know. They just don't have a lot of libertarians on, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, Fox is... I don't know... Uh, okay. Maybe they got bought, maybe, by Disney? Is that what happened? I have no idea. So the thing about Fox that's that's that I want to bring up is that they, over the past 10 years, are, are a completely different um, organization. Yeah. Um, Fox is lost... Whatever it was that made them different enough from all of the other uh, news uh, sources 
to to make them stand apart, to make them worth paying attention to. To me, Fox is really falling apart. Murdoch is the guy who Rupert Murdoch is the guy who started Fox, right? I think that's right. The yeah. the the news division of it, anyways. Um, and I think he. He died, and I think his kids took over. Is mm. part of what happened. Mm. I don't know if they did sell that. I, I have no idea, but I do remember hearing that, that the kids took over and that they were leftists, basically. You know, they don't. I mean, yeah, I can. I, I, can I don't see think that. that Robert Murdoch lines up with me ideologically completely. No, but no. Uh, I think he was like maybe more legitimately right wing. At least somebody who wants to who wants to put the other side of the coin out there. Yeah, and that's not what's happening right now. Yeah, and I don't watch as much. I don't watch Tucker, so I don't know what you know. Oh, yeah, man. you like Tucker. I don't watch Tucker that often either. But every time I see Tucker talk, even if I don't agree with everything to the T, he's just like saying good stuff. You know, like yeah. trying to wake people up, trying to wake the conservative people who were like on for Trump and are like dissatisfied. You know what mm. I mean? Those are the people. Like, let's go after those people. Mm. That's what I want. All not right, all, not all of them, but some of them. I got something for you, Kyle. What's up? All right, so so when I was probably like 25, 26, I started um, getting like like maybe hard on myself. I started I started I started like wondering why I didn't have the skills. I'm trying to figure out how to how to word this. That I didn't have the skills that a 25, 26-year-old man should have. So uh, we've talked about this, and I talked about this with other friends too, uh, but basically I was coming to a point where I'm like becoming a man. I'm fully grown up. i got responsibilities. <laughs> i got my big boy pants. Um, yep. But like if my car broke, I don't know the first thing about how where to even begin diagnosing the problem. Yeah. Um, you know, like I can do some things. You know, it's, like, it's not, like I'm a, uh, not like I'm a pansy boy. I can do some things, but there's a lot of things I can't do. Like, you know, I told you I'd spend some time hunting in the woods, mm-hmm. and I, I've done that even as an adult. I, I enjoy that. But if I shot a deer, then I have to clean it. Then I have to field dress it. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Never done it before. Yeah. Right? So there's just like things like that, that things that I'm going to call man shit for the purposes of this conversation yeah. that I felt like I should, I should have um, mastered by then, that I wasn't really a man. I was a phony. And it's it's a feeling that you have like when you're a teenager, you just feel like a phony. And this was like a sort of similar to that. So I'm going through this time where I'm like, I just don't know shit that I need to know. Um, you know, like I can change, I can change the oil in the car. Yeah. You know, I could, I've I've, cha- I've changed some uh, some brake pads before, but you know, if I had to do it all by myself, you know, I I it would take me a long time. Um, it's just all this man shit that that made me feel inadequate. So I'll stop there for a second. Do you? Do you have any of those feelings or had you had any of those feelings, you know, at around that age? Uh, yeah, I definitely, I still have some of those feelings. Yeah, to me too, me too. But. Um, but I don't know. I do, I definitely do have those feelings, but I also have this thing and maybe this is like the previously mentioned Dunning-Kruger thing. I just kind of feel like, yeah, I'll figure it out. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, that's probably a stupid way to be, but well, for those people who don't know, the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically something that that's measurable. That that when they ask people how competent do they think they are versus other people, that people will consistently rate themselves higher than they are 
in reality, yeah. better than they are in reality at driving, at spelling, yeah. at everything. Yeah, it's like, do you think that you could start a fire right now? And they're like, oh, yeah, I totally could. And they <laughs> hand them like a, a stick and it's like, okay, we'll do it. And, you know, it's harder. It's much harder to do something than it is to say that you're good at something. See, that's another good example. Yeah. Building a fire, man. Yep. Sim- I mean, simple, kind of, you know. Um, but not really. We should, we should be able to build a freaking fire. Yeah. But, and there's all sorts of things like that. Um, do anything, any in particular things like that come to mind for you? I mean, lots of um, like Mr. Fix-It type of shit. Yeah. Uh, but I, again, I do kind of feel like if I just do it, I could probably figure it out. But I don't know if it's going to look good. I, I don't, I have, you a good, know. I have a good example. Yeah. It just popped in my head. I can't drive a stick. Oh, sure. Nobody ever taught me. I've never been behind the wheel of a manual transmission car. Yeah. My dad my dad is a transmission specialist, right? I've never been behind the wheel of an of a of a manual. Yeah. I don't know the first thing about it. Yeah. And there's been times in my life where people have thrown me keys and said, "Hey, will you move the truck?" You're like, what? And I'm like, "Um, I'm a little bitch and I can't do that because no one's ever taught me." Yeah. It's embarrassing. So that's an example. Dude, I would get on YouTube. I would get in the car, start it, get on YouTube like, <laughs> "How do I do this?" Um, not really. I wouldn't want to do it either. But so I think that those things basically boil down to really easily understandable, fundamental biological things like a man as a man, I feel like I should be able to protect myself. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like I, that means that means I should be able to fight. I, sh- I should know how to shoot a gun. I should know all that stuff. Um, it means I should be able to provide for my family. So that means I have to be competent in whatever way that I need to be to, to make enough money that my family and myself and my wife don't have to starve or, or want I have to be able to do that. And that means I have to be able to provide food. And if the shit hits the fan, I have to be able to catch it and clean it and provide it. Not go to the store. I have to be able to do that. I have to know how to do that. Like there's some part of me that that is deeply biological that says, shit is going to at some point hit the fan. You have to be ready when it happens. And so there's some part of me that's like all of those things that I don't know how to do make me feel inadequate in a way that is hard to describe but very powerful yeah i know exactly what you mean and i i mean i feel it kind of lately because i try not to be too much of a pessimist with everything that's going on but there are people who believe that like in two years people are going to be eaten out of the trash you know like yeah, um, yeah. that things are going to get bad um and if that happens i mean i don't know you know like i don't, I don't know how things are going to go i oh, mean and all those crazy preppers that people make fun of or that those those gonna those guys are gonna be yeah those guys are gonna be uh the prophets of yeah. that of that era yeah i have to say when, it, when i bought this house our proximity to the lake one of the things that i literally thought about was fresh hey man water. fresh water it's yeah. right there oh yeah <laughs> I did, fishing i did no, i literally thought that if i couldn't get if water wasn't available that I have it right there. Yeah. Like that that was a selling point for me. Hell yeah. In this modern world. Um can you imagine sending the girls out with buckets? With buckets. Oh, I I mean, phew. yeah, I suppose. But, you know, the reason I bring this stuff up about the inade- inadequacy of uh what the reason I bring it up is because I think it's the male version. Now, this is <laughs> we're going to have this conversation whether you like it or not, audience, <laughs> about men and women. Um, Because I do believe in gender and sex and gender roles. I believe gender roles are culturally constructed. I do not believe gender is culturally constructed. That being said, 
I think the woman version of this, this inadequacy from not knowing man shit, are are that women that want to have children and can't. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. We're getting probably some Molyneux that you're not familiar with, but Molyneux talks a lot about eggs. Yeah. And it drives people on Twitter fucking crazy. <laughs> well, he's not on Twitter anymore, but yeah. So, Let's yeah. No, I mean, you know, uh, basically he sent out this one tweet about Taylor Swift saying she's getting old. He's like she's losing her eggs, basically. Oh. And yeah, I mean, you know, he just got a lot of backlash, but. I think there's some truth to it, too, man. I mean... Well, there is absolutely truth to this idea of a biological clock. Sure. And there... I mean, guys, evolution caused us to go from the spark of life in the primordial ocean to the sophisticated life that, that you and I represent. That's what that's what uh, evolution did. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I was going with evolution, Remark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, th- I'm just talking about the drive to reproduce, to yes, procreate. that's right. You know... It's it goes deep, 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 deep as far deep as you can go in our in our you know in our being yep. to think that as a woman or a man for that matter, but specifically as a woman that that pressure isn't like <coughs> ever present in you and it's not particularly pressing when you're when you're you know when you're in your prime for that. Yeah, your everything in your body is telling you to have a, to have a child. To pretend that as, that. I'm a feminist and I'm not under the thumb of my biological necessities is bullshit. There's not a human being in the world that that is strong enough to to uh, you know intentionally intentionally willfully will themselves to not to not you know fulfill their instincts. Change the tide. Let me tell you know it's like the same change you know, the tide. It's not going to exa- work. It's not going to work. Um I agree with that completely. Uh I think I I was talking earlier about how I don't want to like force social conservatism and there's a I mean you know I like doing drugs there's a lot of stuff about me that is not necessarily socially conservative but this kind of goes back to that because there's this thing in our culture that is like that kind of stuff is bad you know like social conservatism is bad we should Mm -hmm. look down on that and I think that this feminist thing is a part of that it's like don't have kids go out there be a career woman Mm. and I'm fine with that. If you want to go be a high-powered lawyer, you want to be Hillary Clinton, try not to kill as many people, but otherwise, good for you. Do what you want to do, but don't discourage other people from wanting to wanting to be mothers. Like, And there's a lot of that that goes oh, on. Yeah. And I think that's fucking creepy. Like, it, It's very creepy. It's, it's... I don't know, man. It, it drives me nuts. It's like somebody who says, I'm going to get fucked up tonight. And I don't want to drink alone, so you're drinking with me. Yeah. It's somebody like that. It's like, fuck you, man. I don't have to... So where my mind goes on that, Kyle, is that, listen, I have kids, and uh, so, I, so you know, I understand what it's like. It's some of the most emotionally powerful moments of my life. Some of the most memorable moments of my life are the birth of my kids and watching them grow up and being proud of them and all that sort of thing. The idea that your biology is designed for you to have that experience. And even more than that, it's like the uh, psychology, and this is, again, not going to be a popular thing to say, but the psychology of a woman is different than a man for the explicit reason that they're caring for kids. So like women have sensitivity to high-pitched noises that men don't have. Uh, Women cannot stand, in general, cannot stand to hear a kid wailing away. 
because their biology is telling them to go stop Fix that kid it. from crying. Yep. There's so many things that biologically are determined by the fact that you have the chromosomes you have and, and are going to be built to have a, ch a child. Mm -hmm. That if you don't, that there is a, a certain type of disappointment, a sort of supreme kind of disappointment that you've disappointed yourself that you've disappointed, that you have failed your instincts, you've failed your um, purpose. Like there's something about that that a that I can understand a woman would feel that I can't even understand exactly. Yeah. That um, if you were one of those high-powered, you know, women that that said, you know, the value of being a mother is not as good as the value of being this certain type of productive member of society and this self-actualized person, that you're going to be at one point, a 90-year-old woman with no children and, you know, n no close family like that and perhaps no purpose anymore because you're not there for your grandkids anymore. You're an old person that you smell bad. Nobody wants to come over and visit you. Like, the point is that you, that higher power woman has cursed herself into this position that she will never know if having those children would have been more meaningful to her than her career. And if she's trying to steer other women down the same line as, as her for all these social reasons that people pretend are valuable, yeah. that when, when rubber meets the road and you're 80 years old and you're on your deathbed, yeah. that, that what you have sacrificed is more than you ever knew it was. Yeah. And, some, and some highfalutin lawyer from, with an Ivy League degree who's not going to have kids, who's you know, got a thousand hobbies and a BMW and all this and a Fiat and whatever, that that, that that person will never know what she's missed and will always wonder. You know, and that, that's not going to be the case for everybody. But that's the kind of disappointment that I am trying to equate to this idea of man shit. Like, yeah. I'm disappointed in myself. I've, I'm unsatisfied with the man that I am. I feel like I'm ill-equipped for the job in certain ways. And they're only small things, really, in the grand scheme of things. But they just continue to nag at me. I can't let it go. They always, you know, these things, it's like, you know, it's just weird how, how it seems to be biological. Um, one place that my mind goes with this is that the society that we have developed and has developed us is... One that has made it harder and harder to be able to do the things to take care of yourself. You know, like back in the day, things were simpler. Like literally, engines were simpler. You could work on an engine. I can't pop the hood on my car. I have no, I mean, I can't pop the hood and work on an old car either because I don't really know that much about cars. Mm. But my dad can. You know, my dad could like do shit on cars back in the day. Right. My dad has no fucking idea what's going on in yep. cars now. Exactly. I mean, it's all computers. You're right. You're right. Um, so... And, and it's not just with cars. Like, there's a lot of things about modern civilization that makes it harder for you to be able to be, I don't know, not an expert, but even, like, serviceable at all of those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you want to do it, you can. There are people today who are, those, you know, like, what you want to be. Yeah. Um, but you just have to make a real effort at it, you know? <laughs> That's true. Now, when you say that, that things were simpler, I 100% I agree. I go a step further. I, I put it like this. The problems, the biggest problems of the modern Western world are things like obesity and depression. Sure. It's not polio. It's not starvation. It's yeah. obesity and depression. Yeah. And um, 
where was I going with this? Somewhere good. Damn it. Um, what, what were you just saying before that? Um, I don't particularly remember. This is a curse. <laughs> it is a curse. Um, boy, it's gone. The harder I try to remember it, the further it disappears into Obesity the darkness. Obesity and depression. Um, those are the real problems. Those are, those are the problems that are... that. Yeah, I was going somewhere with that for Christ's sake. There All are right. no problems. Damn it, man. I'm sorry. I stopped your momentum and just... Put, just pump. The I can't believe that I can't remember what I was talking about. We're, I'm going to listen to this podcast and be like, "Oh, that's what I was talking about." So I have a couple of things more, unless you have. Um, the only other thing I want to talk about, we can like, we don't have to talk about right now. I just want to like maybe have a conversation on the podcast about like what we can do with the podcast. You know, mm. like directions because I like uh, the last few episodes that we've done, the more loose and formal ones. Yeah, I feel like. You know, at first we were doing the podcast and they were really structured and I wanted to do that because I felt like it would prevent them from being boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't feel like these have been boring, so. No, it's not for us. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's true. not for us. No, I, so, you know, I, th- I, I think that's good. I think um, one of the podcasts, if we do two a week, one of them should be like this. Yeah. And the other one could be whatever we want, but one of them should be unstructured and just, you know. Yeah. Just whatever. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of things because we were talking about Thaddeus Russell uh, last week and the week before a little bit yeah. and uh, he said something I wanted to ask you about okay it, because you uh, have a great deal of respect for him and I, I is, f- feel that way for, about Jordan Peterson yeah. he brought up Jordan Peterson yeah okay and what he said uh, which episode do you was it the Michael Brooks episode I don't remember but I'll, okay. I'll tell you what he said and you can tell me if it's from that episode it might have been because it was yeah. Because they were having a conversation. He said, f- verbatim, "I'm pretty sure." Oh, he's talking about Jordan Peterson, by the way. Okay. He says, "Quote: I'm pretty sure what he's strongly suggesting is that we live in a society that's based on biblical principles." Yeah. And I'm like, okay. A man who would say that is a man who hasn't listened to Jordan Peterson. Sure. I mean, if, on some level. I don't know. It's somebody who knows that Jordan Peterson talked about the Bible and talks mm-hmm. about mythology and and doesn't like communism. But Jordan Peterson has never in my, and I've done a pretty thorough sure. <laughs> review of of the literature, you might say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think Jordan has ever said anything about suggestions about government or society. He's only ever said how individuals should live their lives um, in order to um, feel like they lived a good one. Well, why is what you just said contradictory to what he said? He said that we should live by biblical... He says that what Jordan Peterson strongly suggests okay. that we live in a society oh, okay. that's that based different. on biblical principles. To me, to me, that is a conservative Muslim or Jewish you know, country run by the church. Theocracy. That is not yeah. at all what, what, he, what you know, is the truth is. Yeah, I think that that's probably the truth. Um, Jordan never made any recommendations about government. Zero, you know. He he said he said when he was a kid he was an actual member of the Communist Party. Yeah. He lives in Canada and has a lot of good things to say about the socialist uh, system there. He has his critiques of it, obviously, but he has lots of good things to say about a, a, a democratic socialist country where he lives. Um, and, but then he also says things like you and I say about the virtues of you know individual freedom, about um, you know. Uh, uh, you know, not even not, not, he doesn't even really talk about free markets or or economics at all. You know, it's so to me. I just thought, 
somebody who would say that is like somebody who listened to a few clips, never never gave him a fair shake, and sure. then thought he could say something that that dramatic. Yeah. So I just wondered what you thought because you liked the guy, and you know it, he said that. It's interesting because that is like pretty similar to Thaddeus Russell's criticism of Jordan Peterson with uh, postmodernism, is that. Um, Jordan Peterson doesn't actually understand postmodernism, mm. um, and it's you know it seems like that's kind of uh, what you're implying as well. It's like Thaddeus Russell doesn't understand Jordan Peterson, um, and I think yeah. that there's de- probably some truth to that um, because Jordan Peterson is like prolific as fuck. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know how much time uh, somebody has committed to delving into all of that. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, but if you're gonna talk, if you're gonna you know criticize someone, you probably should be a little bit more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Steeped in what they have, what they have to say. Right. I, I, you know, I agree. I, I feel like if if Thaddeus had Jordan on his podcast and they were I would talking, love to hear it. I would love to as well. I don't think that he would have said that. I don't think. Yeah. Thaddeus so would that's have said another that. thing that I was going to say is that Thaddeus. Uh, one of the reasons that I like him, and he, I think he would admit this uh, about himself on some level. Maybe not to like the level of someone like Michael Malice, but I think that Thaddeus has got a little bit of like troll. You know, like um, I'm just going to talk some shit. You know. Uh, yeah, for sure. So I for think sure. that, I think that that's probably, and I think that that was from the Michael Brooks episode, and you know. This is the thing about someone like Thaddeus Russell is he has a wide swath of people on his podcast like yeah, uh, of different beliefs. So sometimes when you have somebody who is maybe opposed to you on a lot of stuff, you like try to throw them some bones. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that could have been what it was. That doesn't make it right, though. I mean, you know. No, no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that could be somewhat of, what of an explanation. But I've wanted... As a person who loves Thaddeus Russell and a person who also loves Jordan Peterson, uh, I want to hear that conversation. I want to hear the differences, you know, the what one has to say in response to the other. I think that needs to be, um, I think that needs to be tweeted to both of them right away, sure. and uh, we need to suggest that they do that. I think that they should come on this <laughs> podcast. Jordan Peterson <laughs> and Thaddeus Russell both come on I, to the Two Tongues podcast. I would be. Very excited. That would be awesome. All right, so uh, while we're talking about Peterson, I, I want to bring something up. He had a podcast with a guy. Um, f- stop me if I told you this, but okay. he did a podcast with a guy named uh, Mirarescu. Uh, the last his last name's Mirarescu. He Romanian wrote, guy. He wrote a book called The Immortality Key, which I which I I read actually, and then and then I saw that Jordan had did the interview with him, so I thought that was kind of cool. I mm-hmm. I, I had already read the book. But it was um we might have we might have brought this one up when we did the episode on um on the oh boy oh oh when we did the episode on um uh, McKenna and uh, the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross gotcha. when we did that episode because he this Marescu guy talks about the uh, Ellicinian mysteries and that they that they are connected to early Christianity and that they were um, potentially a, a hallucinogenic cult of some kind yeah. and it, this is the story that he tells um, so when Jordan had him on the podcast they talk a lot about that which is really interesting to me the idea that there might be well that, that there might be connections between Christianity and these other mystery religions uh, that go back into ancient Greece. Um, 
the Brian, Brian, I think is his name, Murescu, he even said that Christianity is a Greek cult. Okay. And he said, you know, like everything that developed that was important about the Christian message and the Christian religion. Like the updated it, from Judaism, all the new stuff, all yeah, that's all Greek. Yeah, like basically Jesus was seen by the Jewish Christians, and there were obviously some, as the Messiah, as the Mashiach, whatever they call him. But Christ, he wasn't Christ. He was the Mashiach. Okay. When, when, when the religion went spread to Greece and the rest of the world, um, the figure of Christ became um, something very different. But I'm going down a different path, so let's, let's pump the brakes for a second. So Jordan has a guy named Carl Ruck on the podcast with Brian. Because Brian, he's a PhD classics professor. He might not, he might not be a professor even. I think he said he was an attorney. But anyway, I think he's, he was an attorney. But he, he has a classics degree from some Ivy League school, Columbia, or I don't know, some Ivy League school. He's a smart guy. Uh, he had Professor Carl Ruck on because Carl Ruck is an expert in um, uh, the, the classics and this the mystery stuff with the psychedelics. So he had an expert that could go on and confirm what Mirescu was saying, but also he could shed light on um, you know some of the details. So... Most of the conversation was with Brian, and at the end of the conver- at the end of the conversation, Carl Ruck came in and was talking a little bit, and uh, the conversation got really interesting because you could tell Brian Murescu is not a, not a professor. Carl Ruck is a professor, so Brian was careful was less careful about what he was saying, talking about drugs, and you could tell that when he started talking to the professor, he was a little bit more hesitant to talk about you know too much. You know about the drugs or about the positive uh, spiritual benefits. He didn't want to. He could tell he didn't really want to go there. Yeah. At the end of the podcast, it got really freaking weird, and the and the professor said some stuff that I thought was pretty amazing. But also, Jordan, you could tell he didn't know how to he didn't know how to respond to it. Okay. Because it was so different. At the very end of the podcast, the professor just gets mystic. He just turns around and he, really? he just turns into a mystic um, because. He asked, Jordan asked him if he himself ever did psychedelics. Okay. And uh, this is, I, I tried to re-listen and find the, um, the quote, and I think it might have been a little bit before I started. So I'm not going to capture all of this, but I want to play this for you. Let's see. Let's see if this works. Um, was this guy, Brian Murarescu, he was on Rogan, right? He might have been. I think he was, and he was talking about. Um, yeah, I, I forget. I forget what what specifically he was talking about, but some kind of like psychedelic compound that they were doing in Greece. Um, like the, there's like bowls. That yeah, there, they have. there was the the kaikion that they drink. They drink and uh, and they've like tested these bowls and tried to find like residue of. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so that so in any in any case. The uh, the other guy, Carl Ruck, he's kind of buttoned up and hesitant. He's he's an older guy, and he's so he's careful. And then as they get to the end, and, and he says, he says that um, they had what Carl Ruck and his colleagues did in the whatever whenever this was like in the sixties or seventies, they recreated some psychedelic brew. They took it and uh, they didn't didn't actually get them. Uh, get them high they didn't trip on it so it was kind of disappointing at least maybe one of them did but the others didn't so then Jordan immediately says okay if it didn't work 
did you ever try anything else? Like later, did you ever try any other psychedelics? And uh, then, then Professor Rux says that he did. He, I think it was, L, it was LSD or mushrooms or something. He said he did. And uh, Jordan asked him to describe the experience. And it was like verbatim from like my own mystic experience. Yeah. It, was, it was about understanding that, that reality is one. And, and that was the clip that I was trying to find that I couldn't find. Um, because it, I think it was a little bit, a little bit uh, like towards the middle of of, of the uh, segment. Yeah. But at the end, I just want to show, uh, play this bit for you. He's talking about. Well, I'll just play it for you here. Let's hear it. Okay. Mm, well, we're having technical difficulties. Oh, it's because the volume on it's turned down. Hold on. That'll do it every time. Because <laughs> if I got to go back here. Um, 31. Oh boy. Here. Just want to comment on how cool this fucking office is. Please do while I fast forward here. We got these sweet ass Alex Gray paintings behind you. Uh, a shelf full of bourbon behind you. This place, I mean, this is like a true man cave. All right. Here it is. Uh, this isn't exactly where I. Uh, hold on. Crazy doorknob on the ground over here. Right. This is a couple seconds longer than I intended to play, play this for you, but let's try it. Relatively accepted by classicists, Carl. This goes back yes. to E.R. E. E. R. Dodds, the Greeks, yes. and the and the irrational a couple generations ago. Yeah. So I think psychedelics are just one twist on this. Gilgamesh goes down to the bottom of the ocean like Pinocchio does, and he brings back the herb of immortality. But it's stolen, it's, I believe, by a snake on the way back. Is that that's the case? Is that's the story? Is that yes. a shamanic story as well? Yes. And so we go out to the edge of the world to gather wisdom, but on the way back, we lose it and we can't bring it back. Or we can only bring back fragments of it. We're not capable <coughs> of bringing back at all. Once you wake up, it's hard to remember the dream. That's a good place to stop. But we could add one thing. The yes, definitely. One a very important technique is to enter the dream world and when you're dreaming don't decide you want to wake up but carry consciousness into the dream in which case you've entered this world you're in the spirit world you're in control of everything have you been able to lucid dream yes are you an avid practitioner i used to tr practice it more than i do now because i came to realize that what i was trying to do was die there's no sense in hurrying it, hurrying the process. <laughs> well, I mean, once once you do that, once you dissociate your spirit from your body, you might decide you don't want to go back in again. And that's, that's what happens when you die. It gets better. But the moment when you do that, when you bring consciousness into your unconscious reality is an extremely orgasmic pleasant feeling whoa thank you very much brian <laughs> thank you jordan much appreciated so he just wraps he just wraps it right up he's like yeah, thank know. you very much brian <laughs> so so you know the, I, and i wish i, I wish i could have captured that bit with the earlier bit of him describing psychedelic uh, mystic experience but um first of all the thing he was so different for the rest of the podcast yeah. and then at that point he's like 
definitive. He's like, no doubt about it. He's, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you some, some serious shit. And, uh, and then the way he's describing the the experience of being unconscious and bringing your consciousness into it and him telling the reason he was doing it and enjoyed it was because he, he realized what he was trying to do was to die. So he's an old man, yeah. you know, and he's like spending all this time. He was talking about lucid dreaming in that context, but in the same context as a psychedelic experience, uh, because that's what that conversation was about, that in the psychedelic experience, that what he's doing is trying to die. And, and, uh, and by, he said he could bring his, he could bring his consciousness into the experience to where he has con- full control over it, like you do if you're lucid dreaming, like you're in this world of your own making and you control the whole thing. And the more you identify with this world, the less you identify with the actual world. And yeah. that what you're doing is slowly pulling your, pulling your soul out of your body. You're slowly dying. And that's the way the Greeks, and the, they were talking about the Greek mysteries, that's the way the Greeks thought of the human being as, as you know, something made of earth and made of God mixed together. It's like we're, we're mortal and we're immortal somehow. And yeah. that soul was the immortal part that God put in you. So, and that's a very Christian notion. Yeah. That's how Christians believe. And that's along the same lines as what I was talking about before when he said that Christ is a, that Christianity is a, is a Greek cult. Yeah. That was, uh, I can't imagine him being so buttoned up. And then, then at the, the last thing he says, it's like busting a nut. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like, that's so funny. That, but you know what, man? And, and that's, that's what Jordan, that's, that's, that's so that's, goddamn funny to me. If, if you listen to the rest of it, you, it would be even funnier. Yeah. Cause it, my eyes were this big. I'm like, I can't believe he just said that. That's, and Jordan couldn't believe he just said that. Yeah. And he's like, uh, I guess that'll do it. Let's wrap it up. There was some classic Jordan Peterson in there too. Just like out of nowhere, he's like Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh. went to the bottom of the ocean, just like Pinocchio did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so goddamn funny. If you guys, if you guys haven't heard Jordan talk about Pinocchio, you must. Oh, it's good. That's good stuff, man. It, it'll make you like the Pinocchio story way, way, way more. Yep. But what do you, what did you think about the 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 what Carl Rook said about that psychedelic epiphany being orgasmic? I have not experienced it to be orgasmic, but um, I've experienced it to be something, you know, it's like, um, I don't know. I I wouldn't call it orgasmic, but it's like otherworldly. I don't know. So what I, what I came to my mind was one instance where it felt like it, it was building, you know, like the way sex will yeah. we'll build up to a climax. It, it seemed like it, it was building and there was a, there was a release. There was a catharsis. There was some, some sort of orgasm. Um, I, it wasn't sexual. It wasn't at all sexual. It wasn't at all sexual, but there is a, there is a release where it felt like I had reached that enlightenment. It felt, it felt like okay. I, I finally broke through and it was like, ah, Okay. So I just wondered it because when he, when Carl Rook said it was orgasmic, that's what came to my mind, and I wondered if you. When you describe it that way, I guess I can see how. I mean, I do remember. Okay, so I've only like really blasted off on the DMT like two times, and the first time was terrifying. <laughs> so I didn't. That was not orgasmic at all. <laughs> uh, the second time was. I, I guess I can understand when you describe it that way. I can see how it would be described as orgasmic. Um, 
because it is enrapturing you know like you're just uh you are kind of wrapped up in it the way you are wrapped up in an orgasm you know like when you're orgasming you're orgasming you know yeah. like and when you're tripping that's what you're doing you're not like really thinking about anything else um have, have you ever seen like a like a grid let's just say like there's a grid of um like a like a like a search and find or something like a grid of letters and you have to find the word or, oh, you, sure. or you have to find the sure. letter or whatever um it's like imagine that you're like you're looking at that and you're and it's really important and you're you're searching really hard you're taking it very seriously you're trying to find this anomaly you're looking you're looking you're looking you're looking you're looking you need to find it you need to find it and then you find it that that feeling that i that that, I, that i'm describing we were just like there it is yeah that's the climax i'm talking about okay in the mystic experience it's like you know, it's really hard to put into words, but it's like, it's like this very powerful feeling of like, what is it? 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 Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Something like that. Okay. It's like you, you want to know what, what is this experience? Because it's so crazy. And you said terrifying and you know, to, to, you're not wrong. Do you think, this might be a good way of wrapping this up. Do you think that if you would have known to not resist it, to not try to understand it or, or put your hands on it, to just go with it. If you would have, if you would have been able to just at, at that first experience, just let yourself go where it was going to take you, that it, that it wouldn't have been scary and it would have been, a, a, you know, maybe a positive experience. Maybe, maybe it, it could have been. Yeah, I guess. Well, the reason I ask you is because that, particular type of experience for me is has always seemed you know how we talk about there seems to be some messages sometimes there seems to be things you're learning from it or taking from it yeah. and and one of those things to me is not to resist yeah always not and and for me intellectualizing because it's like um <coughs> it's like if i overanalyze something or over intellectualize something which i am want to do my friend yeah um, it is a curse. I feel you there. That when I do that, I'm trying to put it in the experience in a box. Like I'm trying to understand this thing by putting it in a box, and you cannot put it in a box. Yeah. You ca- it cannot be contained. It's the, it's it's an experience that cannot be contained. Whatever that means, that's tr- the truth. So when you try to do that, it it's like it fights you. It's like oh no, you know you're not winning this one, this tug of war. Yeah. And so that to me, I think is related to. When people say they have bad trips, it's the resistance, it's the fighting it, it's yeah. the, it's like, look, this experience knows what it's doing. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. You're the one who's doing not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're resisting. And that may be the lesson of that is to be like that in my life. Like maybe stop resisting. Maybe I'm supposed to stop resisting. Maybe I'm supposed to go with the flow. Maybe I'm supposed to embrace, you know, the possibilities that are you know, at hand and not, you know, wish for and want for things that are, you know, beyond my grasp. Like maybe there's some, some reason why that's a part of the, a part of the mystic experience to learn to go with the flow. That maybe it's something that can be applied in your life to make your life better. You know, those are the kind of things you hope the the mystic or psychedelic experience would offer as a benefit is something like that. Maybe I'm reading into it, but it, to me, it seems like every time I have those experiences, it's like fear and resistance and the and the inability to to let go it's like 
you know, I have to tell myself, I have to remind myself to, to stop resist, to stop resisting. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's been a, a theme for me throughout my experiences with DMT particularly. Um, but just psychedelics in general, kind of as well. Um, and I think that anybody who's <clears throat> taken some psychedelic drugs understands that your mood is going to affect it, you know? Um, Oh, yeah. So if you're worried, uh, if you're like, you know, you're terrified, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think it maybe you're more likely to be terrified. Well, I mean, I mean, that, I mean, I think it's simpler than that. If you're if you're terrified going into it, you're not going to stop being terrified. And, you, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for that. It's sure. like, look, you're already terrified. Now you're going to now you're going to alter your state of consciousness and be and be something that's very different that's unfamiliar to you and you're still going to be terrified you know you think you think you're going to handle that better than you yeah. are right now yeah true not likely buddy yeah did you hear Ari talk about his ayahuasca experience on Rogan no i i was going to listen to that but i skipped over that one yeah it's a good one you should listen to it ari what did he say um Basically, you know, he went down to South America for like six months. Whoa! Yeah, he was living in an Airbnb and like doing his uh, podcast from from there. You wow! Know? Um, and he went and took an ayahuasca ceremony, and basically, he said that he talked with a dead person. Oh, like so, a, like a relative uh, or somebody who knew somebody who had a huge influence on him. Interesting. All right, I guess I'm gonna go watch listen it's to that one. episode. Of Did you listen to the one with Shane Gillis? Uh, I don't think so. What they, what he's a they? funny. He's another funny. He's a comedian. Oh, comedian. He's just a good. You know, I've been. I I tweeted out that I'm like trying to get off of the politics as much, man. I like. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that I will go back up and be interested in it again. But right now, man, I just don't fucking care. It seems like all bad news. You know. I agree. It's it's very frustrating, and I'm with you. And I agree. I, I say we forfeited. I already abandoned Facebook months ago. I've not. I've I'm done with it. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, I think we should do more of that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. Cut hey, the cords. Before we cut the cord on this podcast, uh, the one that I did last week by myself on the pre-Socratic philosophers, I know you probably haven't got to it yet. Yeah, no, I but haven't. that podcast happened because I was researching a Plato episode. I wanted to do Plato. I promised the audience Plato, so I was going to do it. So I'm like, okay, well, what did, what did the philosophers say that came before Plato? I have to do the research. And I'm like, these motherfuckers. First of all, there's not a lot that survived. So it's like just little little bits of scraps of stuff that you have. Yep. And it goes way back, like way back into like the, you know, the 8th century BC, like deep into, into prehistory. And some of those guys said some crazy, interesting stuff. Such as? Well, like, you know, like the, the best example is, um, is uh, uh, Democritus. People know, yeah. people know Democritus because of atomic theory. So I can't remember the guy that is is um, the guy's name anymore. John something maybe um, <coughs> the guy who uh, who um, officially uh, created atomic modern atomic theory. The guy that confirmed atoms actually exist. Whatever that guy's name is, Einstein. <laughs> I don't know who it was. Um, that guy was relatively modern. Democritus goes back to you know hundreds of years BC, yeah. and he said. From a completely philosophical perspective, that the universe must be such that it's made up of very small component parts that are indivisible. That's what atom means. You, you you have these single tiny things that can't be broken down any further, and the whole world is made up of them. And he got to that 
strictly from a philosophical, logical, rational, you know, uh, uh, process. No science behind it whatsoever. Happened to be correct. Another guy I just read the other day, he said one of the fragments that survives from him is, um, is I can't remember exactly, I'm going to butcher the quote, but he basically said that night is night because the earth blocks the sun. During during that part of okay. so so this was this was back before you know uh, people had any sophisticated knowledge of of you know he, the heavenly rotations, so they they were able to deduce correctly things that would surprise you, but that wasn't what interested me. What ended up sticking out to me was how many of those guys were super super mystical. Yeah, I mean, you would not. If you listen to the episode that I that I uh, posted, you would uh, you'll get it. Okay. But I've got a whole other one I'm doing. Okay. I have, a, I, have, I have enough material for a whole other one, and then I'll get to Plato. Nice. Yeah. So as we're talking about what we're going to do with the podcast in the near term. That's what I have in mind. Nice. I think I'm going to do a Plato episode too. I'm going to like play with Plato. I want to bring some Plato in here. Yes. We'll like build a you know like a. A lizard or something <laughs> out of some Play-Doh. Well, my daughter's eager to be on the podcast, so maybe there you we, go. we can have her down for Play-Doh Day. She yeah. can play with Play-Doh while we talk about Play-Doh. Um, so another thing we could do is how would you feel about like having like people from Twitter on? Like like just, you know, like uh, people with other, not even from Twitter, but like other podcasts that I could, you know, Absolutely. get in touch with through Twitter. Absolutely. We have to do it through like Zoom and shit, so we'd have to figure that out. I have a, I have a, um, I have a Zoom license, so I think we could do it. Okay. And I, don't, I don't think it would be too bad. Um, the same way I just played audio from the podcast, we can play it from Zoom, so. Alright. Yeah, so that's an invitation uh, if anybody wants to uh Talk to us about uh, being a guest. Fuck yeah, man. Fuck yeah, man. We'll talk about anything, too. I mean, you know. I don't I mean, know. We'll talk about anything th- that I find interesting. Yeah, well, true. We're not going to talk about, uh, I don't know, what do you find boring? Um... <laughs> well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties. But I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.